This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 8, and then chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, from John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's jump to chapter 2, verses 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us your heart for the church. Not just that we would know what the church is, not just that we would do, but God, we want to know your heart. Reveal your heart to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The movie Up is uh, considered uh, the first 10 minutes, some of the best uh, 10, 10 minutes of cinematic history. Um, there's this portion uh, in it where, uh, you know, Carl, his goal is to bring his home uh, to South Africa, and it's this fun journey. And so if you miss the first 10 minutes, you still enjoy the movie, you still get to know Carl, you still get to know what he's all about, but if you miss the first 10 minutes, I would say that you miss the meaning of why it's so important. Because it's in the first 10 minutes you see how much he loves his wife and how this was so important to him. We're not going to show it. It's just a clip. But it's in those first 10 minutes you see the love for his wife. And then everything else makes sense in terms of why he's so committed this crazy journey to this place so far away. 
What we do as a church is a pretty crazy and hard thing. You know what you should do. Many of the things that you've discussed last night is not necessarily new, but maybe you've lost heart. And so the goal is today that you would get a bit of Christ's heart for the church. And the goal is not just that you would have his heart. My challenge to you, church, is that you would know Acts 1 and 2 in a way that you could teach it. In a way that you don't just hear what I'm saying and you just agree, but the challenge is you know Acts 1 and 2 so well. You know how the church began in such a way that you can take it and you can teach it. Because you'll see that this is a huge part of what it means to be a disciple. If you can't teach, you're not actually learning. And so with this, we want to learn about Jesus' heart for the church, and not necessarily your heart for the church. Because there's many things that you want for the church. There's many things that you have preferences for for the church. Through all the studies done about what church is, uh, one of the main reasons anyone comes back to church is because they've found someone else that they have in common. They, they find a group and they say, oh, I connect with this group, I connect with this person. So even our surveys and research would say what we look for in church is much about me, what I want, how I connect. But also it might be about other things like the theology, the culture, the community, which are important things. But again, today we're thinking about, okay, what does Jesus want? How did Jesus design it? So that we would walk away with clarity, understanding this is Jesus' church. What does Jesus want for Gospel City? So we're going to ask three questions to help us through Acts 1 and 2. It's whose church is it? Whose church is it? And then who is the church? Not what is the church, but who is the church? And then finishing off with the question that we asked yesterday, so what does the church do? So whose is the church? Whose is the church? Acts 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. This is the second part, part two, the sequel of the gospel. And what he is saying is, in the first, I have shared, I have shared, I have shared, is there an echo? Test, better. So in the first letter, he's talking about, talking about the gospel and, and Jesus' life, death, his ministry, and it culminates with the resurrection. And so it seems like what Luke might be saying is, well, that was the first book, and the second book, this new letter, the Acts of the Apostles, is not about Jesus' ministry, it's about the ministry of the apostles. But all the commentators would argue, no, he's just clarifying that Jesus did his ministry but it continues. The story of Jesus does not end. In the beginning, it's about his life ministry. In the book of Acts, it's about his resurrection ministry. It's about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we see this a little bit more clearly in 2b. 
in the second part of verse 2, it says that he has given commands through the Holy Spirit. And this is what he was doing in his earthly ministry. Even in his earthly ministry, the Holy Spirit was working in him, and the Holy Spirit is working in the apostles to understand. And so then what we see in verse 4 is when Jesus orders them to wait in verse 5, that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's a continuation of the ministry of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to continue that work. And it's important to recognize that Jesus' ministry, his story, it does not end. But it continues on in the life of the church. And you start to see this if you read the book of Acts. The apostles, these these apostles who, who struggled to learn, struggled to obey, who made all these mistakes, what did they start to do? They start to actually teach like Jesus would teach, to do miracles as Jesus would do miracles, to disciple and to love and to act as Jesus would. What you recognize is these disciples have become so much more like Christ through the Holy Spirit. And the big picture of the book of Acts is Jesus is still working through his people. But Jesus is working in you, in us, and the ministry of Jesus still continues. So you see this in a place like Acts 7 with the story of Stephen. As he is stoned, what does he say? As he is stoned, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sounds familiar, right? It's what Jesus says in Luke 23. So remember, it's Luke that's writing. Luke is wanting, wanting to help make that connection. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Whose church is it? Jesus' church. He's alive and he's working. He's working in our church, working in every church. That his mission has not stopped. But how much so is this Jesus' church? Not only is he guiding it, he this is his church in such a way that he identifies with it. When Saul is persecuting the church, Jesus encounters Saul on the road to Damascus. And you know, many of you know what he says. Jesus shows himself to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's how much this church and every church is Christ's church. This is not any pastor's church. This is not even our church. The good news is that Christ, he owns it. He guides it. He's birthed it. He'll sustain it. And so it's so important to understand that as, as uh, Luke writes this letter, of the Acts of the Apostles to connect it to Jesus and his ministry. You see, it's him that calls us. We do a call to worship in the beginning. It's about this idea that you come not because you have the right to, because you've done good, 
but because of what Christ has done. But it is not the presider calling you to worship. It is God calling you to worship. He is saying, with all your struggles and all your doubts, come. And so Christ calls us. He directs us. All the conversations that you had last night about church, any conviction that you had, anything that you shared that was encouragement to somebody else, that was Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, giving you insight into the, into the text, giving you conviction and motivation to obey. Christ is working. He is the one that's encouraging us. He is the one that uh, gives us the power to obey. When you hear any word preached, it is Christ using that preacher, but all the more Christ illuminating you're illuminating your mind, your heart to understand, to receive, to bear fruit. When you are discouraged, it is him that lifts up your head and say, look up. It's Christ that does the ministry. As a preacher, I've heard that it's important for the preacher to pray. And I agree, it's important for the preacher to pray. And so when I started ministry on this level of vocational ministry, I would pray for my preaching. I would pray for my ministry. And then sometimes I would realize, man, as much as I pray, I feel like it doesn't impact some people. And then I heard a pastor, a seasoned pastor say, as important as it is for the pastor to be praying, all the more it's important for the church to be praying. And when I heard that, I was like, that's it. It's not me, it's them. <laughs> and then I saw it all the more in reality. I would preach the same exact sermon in different congregations. Same illustrations. Same passion, ethos, everything. Putting everything into it. And for some congregations, it's like, it's like cutting cold butter. Try get it in there, you take that slab and you try to spread it around the bread and it just doesn't work. But preaching to a praying congregation, a mature congregation, it's like that soft butter. This goes right in. Take that slab, you slather it. <laughs> Easy. And you think, it doesn't matter how sharp the knife is. The heart matters. And it's in that I also recognize that even in my worst preaching, I've heard the best compliments. I'll preach, people are getting disengaged, the heads start nodding, not because they're agreeing, but because <laughs> the heaviness of, 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 of tiredness starts to weigh on them. So I preach, give it everything, Afterwards, in all honesty, just want to go home. I'm like, oh, forget it. And it's those sermons I hear time and time again, Pastor, man, that message spoke. I'm like, really? <laughs> and it happens all the time. Every time I feel like I'm off, I realize God is doing something that I have no idea of what he is doing. Elijah, when he was struggling in ministry, discouraged after this 
this great, you know, battle with the prophets of Baal, this spiritual high hits this low, goes away. And it's that passage that you know of, that he's not in the earthquake. He's not in, you know, the, 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 loud, uh, the loud occasions, but he's there in the quietness. But then he says something to Elijah. He says, I have 5,000 remnant that you have no idea about. What's the message to Elijah? You think ministry is done through you, but you have no idea the ministry that I actually do. This is Jesus' church. Every church that you've attended, no matter how engaging and dynamic the ministries were, what happens when you go to that one church, when you feel like, how do people go to this church? But when you talk to the people, they love Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is working. He's always working. And if you understand that's how the church started, you recognize that's how the church continued, right? Isn't it crazy that the church has continued over generations? You've been to churches. You're a Christian. You've seen the hypocrisy, not just of members, but leaders. It's amazing how the church has continued. Why? Because it's Christ always working in ways that we see and often, all the more, in ways that we don't see. It is Christ's church. Whose church is it? It's Christ's church. And so then, who is the church? Not what, but who, I think, is the better question. We see that in verse 3, we talked about this last night. We saw this as a key word, that he presented himself alive. And that's an important part because witnesses need to see the evidence. So he presented himself alive. It wasn't done in secret, like how many cults are started, had this some secret engagement with God. No, it's all done in public. Jesus presented himself publicly over and over and over, even to 500. So you would think that the evidence would be enough. So you would think that the way that this would flow is that in verse 1 and 2 and 3, it's saying, wait for the Holy Spirit. But then in verse 3, you would think it would say, after he presented himself, now go. You've seen the risen Christ. He's seen him crucified. He is alive. You've seen his wounds. Now go. You've seen the evidence. But he doesn't say go. He says, Wait. Because reason isn't enough for the believer. We don't simply do ministry out of our reason and logic. There is a spiritual element that is unseen that we can't fathom fully. But Jesus is saying, you've seen the evidence. You can reason all you want. But wait for the Spirit. Because it's going to be the Spirit that uses you, that empowers you. And so he orders them, right? He orders them. There was another key word that you said. He orders them to stay. It wasn't a suggestion. It's apostles, stay. Don't even think about going out there and doing ministry until you receive the Holy Spirit. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot do any spiritual work. And so they hear. And then in verse 6, there's this 
one specific moment when they talk with Jesus and say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The idea is, Jesus, you've talked about the kingdom of God. You began your ministry saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So now, you've died and resurrected. Surely this is the time. But how does he answer it? How does he answer this? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He does not answer it. He says, it's not about whether you know when that's going to come. And he gives them direction. You see, we, the, the disciples, they were awaiting the kingdom. But Jesus is now giving them a, a clear vision and mission of what they're supposed to do. Don't wait for the kingdom, but go and bring the kingdom. Now that's important for you to understand. Because that's often how we think. We wait for God to do something. When's that, when's that kingdom going to arrive? And Jesus says, don't even worry about that. Jesus, God, the Father, knows the time. He's fixed it. Your job, your mission, now go. And now they're hearing the scope of it. Go, not just to Jerusalem. Because that's what they thought. Israel, Israel would be redeemed says, no, go to Jerusalem, okay. Then they hear Samaria, huh? Judea, what? Ends of the earth. Imagine if that's you. You're waiting for Jerusalem to be restored, for the Messiah to come, and Jesus says, no, don't stay. Go. Okay, how far? Jerusalem? Yes, Jerusalem. Okay, I could go to Jerusalem. Samaria, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the, the trajectory of the story. Not to await, but to go. You will receive power, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, on, comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in, Jude, in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They receive power, they're spirit-filled. You will be my witnesses. This is the, the, the telling of what they have seen. It goes back to the reasons of why we believe. He presented himself alive. This is why we're gospel-centered, that we don't just go and be good people, but we go back to the gospel because that's everything. And so this is what we discussed yesterday, and I, I kind of fine-tuned it. Who is the church? This is the question of what is a Christian, but who is the church? The church is a gathering of spirit-empowered Witnesses of the gospel sent on mission. And as we were struggling to stay awake for some of us, I pressed in a little bit harder and I asked, is there something missing? Do you see it? Do you see it? And what was that part? Sent on mission. Because that is the easiest thing to forget. I don't know why, but that's the easiest thing to, thing, thing to forget. We receive power. We received the Holy Spirit. We got all those things from the text. But the whole trajectory, the way in which it's birthed, when you see it, it's completely outward facing. You could be 
gathering spirit-filled, spirit-empowered witnesses of the gospel and put the period right there and think that's what a Christian is. And Christ would say, no, you've missed it all. He circled a 1-8 as a key verse. It's not just a key verse in, in chapter uh, 1. It's the key verse of all of the book of Acts. It's a key verse for the church, for the Christians. So let me just go over the flow so we see it. In 1 to 5, if you have your Bibles open, if you have even the sheet from yesterday, you could go through it. 1 to 5, what do you see? Jesus just says, wait. That's the big idea. Wait for the Spirit. Do not move. He ordered them. Don't go. Wait. And then in 6 to 11, he empowers them. The Holy Spirit comes and he empowers and fills them. And then in 2, he comes and he fills them. Right? This is a moment when they actually see the Holy Spirit come. This is Pentecost. But when all this stuff happens, notice that one question. What does it mean? What does this mean? The Holy Spirit coming upon them. How does it come upon them? As this fire that represents God's presence, but also as a tongue to go out. And you see how intertwined that is. It's this presence on mission. So they're saying, what does this mean? I don't understand. Why are we all speaking in different tongues? What does this mean? And then you see Peter, empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching a Christ-centered message, showing how all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ, and it says they were cut to the heart. They get the gospel. 3,000 are saved. And then what does the church do? They gather to worship and strengthen the body for mission. We gather for mission. You see, we think the goal of Christianity is to attend church. That's what the world would think. Why be a Christian? Or how do you be a Christian? Well, you attend church. Scripture would say, no. We gather to strengthen the church for mission. We gather, we worship, we praise the Lord by our singing. We strengthen one another. We do the work of the ministry, right? We build one another up, but it's not for ourselves, so that we be filled to go out. We gather to strengthen the church for mission. Who is the church? The church is a gathering of spirit-empowered witnesses of the gospel sent on mission. I was to ask you, well, who is the church? What is a Christian? That would be a great definition. Because the ways in which we think of Christianity is don't sin. Go to church. Right? Be this or that. It may, even, it may even be something about the gospel, which is all good. But if, you're not, if you don't understand this trajectory that's so clear that you're sent on mission, you lose This idea of being spirit-empowered is something that's so clear throughout these texts, right? That's one of the key words that we mentioned yesterday over and over and over. To the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the power 
that comes with it. But I know for most of us, one of the questions that we have is, do I have it, right? Me? Because I'm sure like me, like me, and I struggle and doubt, when I struggle with things that I don't want to struggle with, we question the spirit and the power that it talks about. And that's what you might say. You don't know me. You don't know my struggles. You don't know my doubts. How can you say that I'm spirit-empowered, that, that, it, it, that it fills me? And I would say, I don't know you. I never said I knew you. I said God knows you. God designed you. And because that is the promise, the promise of the Father for those who believe, you have the Holy Spirit. I know that you have the Holy Spirit, not because I know you, but because I know God. I know God and how he designed you. The church is a gathering of spirit-empowered witnesses of the gospel sent on mission. Because we don't feel like we have the spirit, that we're spirit-empowered, that's also the, also the reason we don't go on mission. Because if you feel like you had the spiritual power, then you would be on mission. But because you don't feel like you have that power, you stay here. You're scared. You have questions about how to do it. You feel like, that's not me. That's for those who know a little bit more. So the way that we often think is, once I'm spirit-empowered, then I'll go on mission. But I don't think it works that way. I think the way that it works is once you are on mission, you will realize you are spirit-empowered. Once you are on mission, I think there will be dots that connect. I think there will be things that you say. I'll be, I believe there will be things that you do when you recognize, oh, it was there all along. The way that we think is, well, I'm not good enough. You know my, you know my struggles. So we're scared. Especially in this more divisive world that we live in. But the way in which we know that we have the Spirit is when you go out, you do the work. Sometimes it'll be hard. The disciples themselves are persecuted. But you realize it's in that. There'll be moments when you see, I believe this. Because what we believe is a crazy thing. Because if we've grown up in the church, and most of your, most of your friends are Christians, you kind of forget the crazy thing that we believe. But when you talk with an unchurched person about your faith, they give you that look of, really? What does that do? It challenges your faith. You start to be introspective. But it's in those moments of wavering, you realize, oh, I really believe. And once you go back to that reality, it convicts you. And that faith is clearer, more accurate, if you're not on mission, and this is the whole thrust of 
Acts 1 and 2, the book of Acts, you start to see the gospel going out to the ends of the earth in that first century. If you don't go on mission, if you are not on mission, Christianity becomes stale. You start to wonder, why do I read the Bible? Why do I go to church? Because again, if you're not on mission, you won't realize what you have. It becomes like playing a sport, but never playing the game. You're always practicing. You know, in Korea, I think Korea is uh, uh, addicted to golf. Why? Because I'm starting to play golf. And everywhere I go, I see, you know, uh, mostly guys doing this. Everywhere. The other day, I walked out three guys outside of a convenience store. (laughs) And I I laugh because I do that. Just practicing, practicing, practicing. If you've played a sport, you recognize that it's about playing the game. You have to play the game. But imagine you never played the game. All you do is practice. Just practice. Just practice. Just practice. What starts to happen? Why why practice? What's the point of this? That's the mission part. If you don't go on mission, you start to wonder, why do I read the Bible? If you don't engage with unbelievers, you start to wonder, what is it that I believe? If all your friends are Christians and that's it, you're just practicing. Practicing. Sometimes it's a really good practice, really great practice. But once you go out to the field, once you play the game, you realize, oh, I need to practice. Right? Once you play the game, you recognize your shortcomings, where you're weak at, then you go back and you practice. Once you talk to a non-believer, they ask you a question about the Trinity. Uh So what do you do? You practice. That's a great question. The the, the Bible never talks about the Trinity in terms of that word. So what do you do? It makes you think about it. If you don't go on mission, Christianity becomes stale. You don't read the Bible. You start attending church. And you start to look for things that are convenient. Church will never be convenient. You know what's convenient? Not going to church. If you don't go on mission, church will never be worth it. You start to wonder, why build community? It's so hard. So you start to pick and choose your ministries. The whole trajectory of the whole Bible is you're on mission. You miss that, you miss everything. If you're not on mission, Christianity becomes stale. What does that look like? Just real quick. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does discipleship look like? What does it look like to go to the ends of the earth? This is a simple way. One, learn. You have to learn about what Jesus said. You have to obey, because obeying means going out and making disciples, then what are you trying to do? You're teaching them to obey. Again, that's the mission part. You're not just teaching them theology, you're teaching them to obey. That's the hard part. Teaching them theology is the easy part. 
Teaching them to obey is the hard part. And so that's what I'm saying in terms of if you don't know Acts 1 and 2, if you can't teach it to somebody else, we are failing. You have to know what Acts 1 and 2 says in such a way that you want someone else to know what Acts 1 and 2 says. But not just to know it, but to act it. And that's how discipleship has always worked. Learn, obey, and then teach to obey. And that's your goal. Teach someone else to obey. Whose is the church? It's Christ's church. Who is the church? It's those whom God calls. Who get, he gathers his people. Spirit-filled. Empowered. Right? Centered on Christ. On mission. For him. And so what does the church do? What do we do? Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves. That's the key word that you guys mentioned yesterday. Devoted. Simple question is, are you devoted? If you're not devoted, ask yourself those questions. Am I on mission? Chances are, you're not on mission. Church is something that's important to you, so you try to prioritize it, but you've forgotten you're on mission. And then you realize, oh, that's why I have to be devoted. I need encouragement. I need to learn. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So church, this is how I defined it from our discussion yesterday, the church is daily devoted to teaching, fellowship, sharing meals, and prayer. Because I think, say, sharing meals is just sharing life because they were sharing all their possessions. But this is what the church does on the daily. The church is daily devoted to teaching, fellowship, sharing meals, and prayer. So what that means then, going back to the big picture, the church is where we learn and build so that we can go and disciple. The church is where we learn and build so that we can go and disciple. The end goal is not the sharing of life being devoted to the teaching, fellowship, sharing meals, and prayer. It's the being sent on mission part. But you can't do that part without being daily devoted to the church, to learn and to build so that you can go and disciple. Now, I realize there's real modern-day challenges for this. One, for us as a church, we are an English-speaking ministry where some of you are traveling two hours just to attend church. It shows how, that you recognize how important it is. And to us, it's a huge blessing. But with that, there's so many then practical challenges. How do you do this on the daily? I think one way to begin, as we talked about yesterday, is to be intentional when we gather. Because the reality is, is I don't expect people to travel two hours every day to see somebody from Gospel City. I think that's not possible. But I think what we can do is be intentional. Intentional to continue to connect with maybe friends from home who are believers. Connect with one another. It could be as simple as joining a small group and making that commitment. If you are in a small group, it's to reprioritize that small group. It's finding out those who live near you and trying to connect with them in that way. There is no one way 
I think the one way that I can challenge you with is to be intentional, to know your situation, to maybe cut out some things, to, to prioritize this aspect of church so that you can be on mission. We're supposed to be uh, building a directory uh, for the church as well that you can see who the members are. And through that, you can figure out other people who are in your area. And so we, church, want to be that church to provide you all the ways possible to do this on the daily. This is Christ church. The first time the word church is used in Scripture is when Jesus says it in Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word church is ecclesia. It's those who are called out. But Jesus saying, I will call my people and I will build my people. God will build up his bride. The theme is, O church, arise. In the words, in, this, in these lyrics, it says, Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say they are strong. That's why we gather. We gather as weak people. And it's in that we find strength in one another, strength in Christ. And then we sing an army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness on mission. So spirit come, put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize. Talking about perseverance. This is hard of a good, of a servant good and faithful and I love these lines. As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace. What's it talking about? Those saints of old who've come before us, who's, who've lived that life on mission, and they're lining up. It's this idea of Hebrews. As you run this race, there's all these who have come before us, for us, retelling the triumphs of grace. We hear their calls, hunger for that day, when with Christ we stand in glory. So on that day, church, what happens? This is what we sing. Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. We're on mission to see the world know him. So church, arise. Shine, for the light has come. Arise, shine, for the risen sun. Lift up your eyes. We are his radiant bride. Let's pray. We are his radiant bride. What did Christ do to purchase his bride, to win his bride over? He does not demand us come, but he comes to us. He chases after his bride. 
but he makes us beautiful by his life, his death, his resurrection. And so church arise. How do you arise? Because the spirit of God is within you. You don't do it by your own strength. You do it by his. Let me give us just a moment to reflect and pray. Maybe if you realize you're not on mission, ask him to guide you. Going on mission is not adding something to your life. It is your life. So you're not trying to find a new person per se, but all those that you work with, they're the mission. The convenience store that you stop by, the cafe that you regularly visit, that's the mission. As you're going, as you're going, the harvest is plentiful and you are the worker. Spend a moment asking God to clarify our mission. today is uh, sing this song, O Church Arise. And as we do, let's pray through it. And then after we actually sing, we'll, we'll take communion together. So we'll do it a little bit differently today. But we're going to sing, thank the Lord for what he has done for us. And then afterwards, we'll do the, uh, the Lord's Supper together. So church, arise, and let's sing you've been blessed through this ministry join us in reaching others by partnering with us today gospel city is a gospel-centered church in seoul south korea on a mission to plant korean-speaking healthy gospel-centered churches you can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this remember jesus changes everything